Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And we have an extra big yule today because not only is it Tristan Bray, but it's Tristan Bray in person. How are you, brother? I'm really good. I can't. Oh man, it's so good to have you here. I can't tell you how stoked I am finally having you in Melbourne to have you across the table to connect in the physical and really on chat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, it's amazing. We've been here a few days, so it's been super cool to line it up. It's been such, it's like just natural flow and alignment as always, <coughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, for those tuning in to Tristan for the first time, there are two other podcast episodes which, um, look, I'm just going to be upfront about it. Please go listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> They're, um, yeah, like we shared this before, but mm-hmm. your podcast on the Inspired Evolution really hold a very, um, very special place for me in the Inspired Evolution. Um, I feel really blessed to be able to just have these conversations and for me for the most part is just holding space for two, I guess, like-minded, like-hearted individuals to come and I think um, what really differentiates this conversation to the others is that it's an exploration between yourself and myself. Um, It's kind of what I've always felt and uh, I really enjoy the things that we explore and um, what comes out in the conversation is... uh, I always leave better for having had the chats with you. So for those tuning in, um, Tristan has now developed the attunement therapy. And attunement therapy is modern healing modality. It's basically based on some of the most ancient biological principles, and we're going to dive deep into what some of those are. Um, and these are relevant to human physical and emotional health. Um, he says that evolution has wired us to be physically connected with each other and other people on a regular basis to maintain a healthy body, to just de-stress and fundamentally to heal um, when we haven't had that connection. Attunement therapy not only provides the opportunity for safe non-sexual touch, but it's also effective that it can also reorganize the nervous system, and this is where it all gets really yummy, right? Um, and he does this so that clients can walk away with a heightened sense of self and the willpower to seek more physical connection with other people. And, uh, man, I'm so sure. I'm just so chuffed to have you here and to dive into like something that is so concrete now. Mm. Um, attunement therapy, why attunement? 
Yeah, well, it's achievement. Um, Gavin Martin talks about achievement in a lot of his books as the achievement bond between an infant and their their parents. Um, often this applies more to a breastfeeding mother, but you know, dad as well, or a primary caregiver. Basically, whoever is the main person looking after an infant, they will develop an achievement bond with that person. Right. An achievement definition is almost like the sharing of emotional spaces. And the interesting thing about that is a an infant, the first nine months out of the womb is called the second nine months of gestation. And this is where this, this radical thing, which is pretty obvious once you look at the science, but for a lot of people it's radical, where um, I think it was um, one of the sort of famous sort of psychotherapists, um, Jung, I think, said that um, your children are swimming in your subconscious. Like, so what does that mean? You know, <laughs> subconscious is we have a thing. Like humans have a thing called a prefrontal cortex mm. that sets us apart from most other mammals. Mm. And this is like the executive function of the brain. Mm. Like this sort of real decision making. Yeah. What am I going to do? Planning and sort of thing. Reflecting on the past. Yeah, but this 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 part of the brain can also reflect on some of our deeper impulses, mm. which are running automatically. Mm. You know. Especially, say, um, things like the limbic brain around sort of food and um, kind of your your space and sexuality and kind of safety. And you can kind of like look at a kid with an ice cream and go, I want that ice cream. And if, if you're – they talk about the limbic brain like anything a dog would do. The dog can grab your ice cream at will, but we can be like, I'm not going to steal that kid's ice cream. <laughs> you know, just yet. <laughs> so the, the prefrontal cortex is able to uh, override yeah. the subconscious. Mm. But the subconscious is the rest of the brain, mm. everything apart from the prefrontal cortex. Yeah. And this, um, Dr. Bruce Lipton talks about this as well in his books. Um, he's a cell biologist. Mm. He talks about how 95% of how we feel mm. is the subconscious. Mm. It's mostly what's going on. Mm. So, you know when you look at someone in the eyes and they tell you they're fine, and the eyes are telling you the opposite. (laughs) So, the interesting thing about that is that the eyes are broadcasting the subconscious emotion, what's actually going on. This is why when someone's not really truthful with you, especially around emotion, you can actually feel the glitchiness coming out of their body because they're saying one thing and actually kind of feeling another thing. Right. Yeah. So... When children are swimming in your subconscious, there's a thing called mirror neurons, and this is actual physiological faculty for empathy, where we can feel each other. So if you're a stressed, angry, bored, or whatever, anxious parent, you can kind of pretend to maybe be all good with your kids, but they are downloading your subconscious. Yeah. And there's a really important reason for this, is that children are, or all of our brains, us, it's, 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 we're so intelligent automatically. That means that your children are preparing for an adult life in the exact same environment as you. Mm. So through human evolution, often we stay in the same environment as our parents, our grandparents. We might stay in the same village or tribal yeah. clan. So we're preparing for the same environment. Mm. So if you live in a hostile, stressful, warring kind of area, mm. You are gonna build a hypervigilant brain mm-hmm. by copying and downloading your parents' brain and building yours is the same. Mm. And young children are literally creating millions of synaptic uh, connections a second. Mm. And then we, when we go to sleep at night, especially kids, but adults too, we are pruning the synapses we don't need. Mm. 
know, that's why I can't do algebra anymore. Because <laughs> I can't keep up practice. My brain's like, okay, really, we don't need to know how to do simultaneous <laughs> equations anymore. Yeah. You know, when I was 16, I was pretty good at it, but yeah. it's been pruned. Mm. Yeah, so... And we're not actually conscious of this happening at the time. No. Mm. So, if you live in an environment for disconnection and hypervigilance, and we need to be strong and aware and scanning the situation for uh, threats, mm. even in a one-on-one environment, um, in a room with someone, someone who has trauma or has grown up in a way where their attunement with their parents has been um, downloading sort of vigilance means that it's harder to to focus and be in a peaceful um, connection with someone mm. because you are prepared for threats yeah. all the time, which means you're automatically scanning the environment with all of your senses. Yeah. Which is a form of anxiety, but it's, you know, mm. again, stress and anxiety is not something we choose to feel. Mm. These are subconscious. Right. So, yeah, attunement is based on this, this, this connection with your parents. Mm. And the reason I call it attunement therapy is it, is it, it re, it reboots this experience for adults. Because so much of what we talk about here with child brain development absolutely applies to adults too. Mm. If we grow up in the right environment, it takes 18 years for us to learn how to emotionally self-regulate, mm. right? This means that we can deal with um, unpleasant emotions on our own. Yeah. Most of us don't experience perfect parenting. Get that. Yeah. Yeah. So we have different aspects of our neurology which mm. play out in ways where we need human connection to come into balance. Mm-hmm. But we live in a society where non-sexual, safe physical connection mm. is um, is quite radical. And rare. And rare. And it's 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 really sad. But then there's also a, a very clear lineage of our evolution as a culture mm. into why this has happened. Yeah. Whether it be um, you know, warfare in our genetic lineage, that we're absorbing this kind of trauma. Yeah. And we do, we do absorb the the hypervigilance and trauma of like most of us have physical qualities in our nervous system which are a direct effect inherited from the stresses of World War II mm-hmm. or World War I mm-hmm. or Vietnam or a, uh, the Great Depression mm-hmm. or famines. You know, we have people here in our culture who have suffered great loss and stress um, in their ancestry just in Europe, you know, some different, you know, whether it be famine or these sorts of things or... Um, political upheaval, you know. And this may sound somewhat far-fetched, but the reality of the situation is we've done experiments with lots of monkeys as well, but also with cows. Um, if a cow walks into an electric fence four to seven generations, that, that cow's offspring know not to walk into that fence, not having ever walked into the fence themselves. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. They've, they've done experiments with actual, um, this is an epigenetic mm. learning that's, yeah. that's inherited. Mm. They've done experiments with different microscopic worms that produce, say, lights mm. uh, that glow. Mm. And they only glow if they're given a certain stimulus. Mm. But you take that stimulus away and they'll keep glowing for something like 40 or 50 generations right. without stimulus. So those cows, for example, you could take, you could de-electrify the fences yeah. and they can just keep treating those fences mm. like they're electric for many generations. Mm-hmm. Same thing with one of the trainings that they do with elephants in India is mm. the baby elephant, they tie them up to a stake and they can't move. Yeah. And then the adult elephants are so strong that if you tie them to a stake, that's pulled out of the ground. Yeah. But the entrainment makes them think they can't get away. Mm. You know? This can be inherited too. Yeah. yeah. So 
it's 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 an amazing thing to look at as well the um the corporate and religious program in our culture that keeps us separate. Yeah, boundaries. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of reasons why a stressed society is good for economics. Mm-hmm. Many reasons. Yeah. A lot of people who um, have stress and hypervigilance and anxiety in their life uh, become obsessed with the outside environment mm-hmm. on a safety level. Mm-hmm. But it might not seem like that. Mm-hmm. But that means that you become obsessed with material goods mm-hmm. and become obsessed with consuming um, physical reality to try and find meaning in yourself. Fill the voids. That's <laughs> right. Bad, yeah. yeah. And then the like um, we have different types of religions mm. that often we are experiencing the emotional principles of those religions in our nervous system, even though we didn't go and attend a church ever in our life. Right. So aspects like original sin. Mm. So original sin plays out constantly in our society. Here's a good example. It's the way we um, insult each other mm. in a normal way. Mm. There's a movie, um, Tom Cruise, War of the Worlds. Okay. Cool movie. I put it on the other day, and the first one of the first scenes, he's he's playing baseball, and he's chucking the baseball in the garden with his son, right. and um, and he tells his son to stop being such a dick, <laughs> and his son says, "Well, you should stop being such an asshole." Yeah, this is a normal insult. <laughs> this, these insults are based on Christian original sin, right. where the sexual parts of our body are mm. seen as. Um, Dirty, vulgar, vulgar, yeah. and can be used as insult words. Shunning and a rejection, yeah. right? Yeah, so this means that we have a a constant sharing of shame. Mm. We're projecting shame around sexuality or the sexual center. Mm. This comes comes to you know it's obvious with women's you know sexual centers as well. Mm. The sort of insults we have in our culture. Yeah. So when you couple insult and shame with the sexual center, it creates a compounding sense of um, guilt or shame around having a human body. Yeah. Which means that our ability to have self-worth and to feel worthy of close human connection, especially mm-hmm. physical connection, is impaired for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Again, we don't. Uh, many of us are not active in religion. Mm-hmm. We actually do live in quite an atheist culture, mm-hmm. but we have absorbed many of these principles, which we're still um, waking up from. Right. You know, it's, it's a waking up process and coming into the fact that we are in bodies and our bodies are divine, really. <laughs> and yet these sort of words like divinity is a very religious word, yeah. but there's, there's nothing wrong with having sexuality. Mm. So like one of the things I try and share with people is to be mindful with what sort of words we use, especially mm. if you're trying to bring someone down. Because <laughs> the easiest way to bring someone down in their nervous system, mm. in their subconscious, is to insult their sexuality. Mm. Yeah. So it's 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 a really far up thing. So it's it all but it's all based around self worth and how we often have like a a resistance mm. to close human connection for many, many different reasons. Trauma's another one. Yeah. We, we live in a very traumatized culture. Um, a lot of people have the statistics don't exist because a lot of trauma is not reported. Mm. Especially assault and sexual assault. Yeah. The um Royal Inquiry into Institutionalized Abuse of Children in Australia brought up so many um, disturbing results. That was a few years ago. And the government's still working on how to work with this information. But one of the key elements they came across was it takes on average 30 years for someone to tell someone else that they were abused if they survived that long. So this means that the statistics don't really exist. We don't know. 
But we can say that most people um, have a direct experience yep. with with a, um, a very serious traumatic event, mm. or they create a traumatic event as a, as a perpetrator, which can affect people in just the same sort of way, as far as guilt and shame goes. And often we have someone close to us, like a partner or a mother or a father or a brother or sister, mm. who experiences similar trauma, which affects us too, like a, especially the sort of way we sort of share the the burden of experience, especially in our partnerships, you know. So we, we're all very affected by these sorts of um, events. Mm. And the we lack a lot of the um, the guidelines or the kind of the pathway to understanding how to heal right. the body in our culture. Mm. And often so much healing we're healing, we're exposed to is more of a band-aid effect. Mm. And I'm talking things like um, alcohol. Yeah. Antipsychotics, antidepressants, marijuana, you know. Yeah, suppress the symptoms. Suppress the symptoms. And so you can kind of try and block something out and cope with it. And the amazing thing that um, I try and share as much as I can is to give people hope because especially this sort of trauma can make people feel like, like damaged goods forever. Mm. Yeah. And that, so when you don't have hope in this way around how you're feeling and kind of um, evolving in this way, it can be it can be very scary. So mm. I really like to share these sorts of stories of people, um, you know, sort of testimonies, people telling experience of how sometimes the most bright, shiny, happy, in love with life and themselves people we can meet actually may have been through something very heavy. Yeah. And have graduated through that experience. Mm. They are aware of it, but it doesn't <clears throat> it doesn't rule their life anymore. Mm. Yeah. So I, I really like kind of getting that hope out here. Mm. The whole idea of attunement therapy is it's 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 an incredibly simple healing modality mm. that's easy to learn. Yeah. And it's very effective. Yeah. And anyone can do it. So much of the, the training that I'm sharing with people is it's about what not to do. Yeah. It's it's so amazing that it's like a, it's like an allowing. Mm. You know, you're allowing you're holding space for someone's nervous system to go, Oh, Okay, cool. <laughs> we can move this energy now. And yeah. you can talk about energy, but really it's quite scientific. It's about a, a reboot in the nervous system mm. and real serious changes in the brain. Mm. And when you do this in the brain, you're changing the hormonal makeup in the body mm. instantaneously. Well, this is scientifically proven, right? Like touch is based, <coughs> it immediately triggers oxytocin in your brain. That's so right. Being able to connect with someone physically, immediately you start to de-stress. That's right. Like, even if you're an introvert, you get the same experience, like connecting right. with someone. Mm. However, if you weren't touched enough mm. during rapid brain development, mm. that means the neural pathways for oxytocin aren't being used enough. Mm. That means that the availability of oxytocin for you may be less for your whole life. Mm. The cool thing about a gym therapy is it reboots the oxytocin neural pathways, it makes it more available. Right. So, like, in oxytocin as well, there's, there's recepticides in all your organs for oxytocin uh-huh. that, that makes all your organs healthier. Mm-hmm. So, for people who don't know, oxytocin is like, um, it's, it's a neurotransmitter, mm-hmm. and it's responsible for giving us the drive and the willpower and, uh, like, a pleasurable reward for human connection and particular touch. Mm. So... There's no experiments. Like one, they, do, they did this with uh, a lab rat, like a, a mother lab rat with babies, mm. and they can give her an injection of a, a chemical which will block oxytocin. Mm. And she won't, she will just leave her babies. They'll just starve to death. Wow. Yeah, so it's, the, it's, it's like a chemical 
that's responsible for mental <laughs> Exactly. It's a fundamental for healthy parenting. Yeah, right. So, you know, we live in a culture where a lot of, we have a thing called disappearing, disappearing dad disorder, called DDD. Right. This is where a lot of men inherit a, a lacking in the oxytocin neural pathway from their fathers. Mm. So they want, so many men want to feel more of a drive and a bond with their children. Yeah. They, they know what they want to feel. Yeah. But they don't know how to feel it. Yeah. And we absorb this and it's, it's healable. The brain is plastic, they say. Mm. It's like neuroplasticity. There's yeah, lots yeah. of books on this. We can change the brain. Yeah. yeah. So uh, women have a um, higher availability of um, oxytocin mm. through certain um, drives like breastfeeding and um, just being in more physical contact with the baby naturally. Mm-hmm. So women often have a far bigger drive to stick around. Mm-hmm. So. Back to Gabor Mate, he says we don't need to do more research <laughs> at all on, on the state of human health yeah. when it comes to um, sort of the stress and anxiety that can cause all kinds of different illnesses. Mm. And the sort of stress and anxiety that can cause, um, I mean like illnesses that will kill you, but also the sort of stress and anxiety that will cause ADD and, mm. and cause long-term depression or addiction. We don't need more research. We already know all we need to do is treat children better. Mm. That's why healthy families are, are really the key to to healing the earth. Mm. It's really simple. Yeah. So, and oxytocin is is the one of the biological imperatives to create that. Yeah. So the thing that fascinates me is as you're sharing this um, is how innately the biology supports most fluidly and most rewardingly, if you will, what is innately positive for ourselves and our environment. Mm, mm. Like just following that path is, and yet we we somehow mm, manufacture other ways of being, mm-hmm. you know, and like you elaborated before, perhaps, you know, there was a war or climate or something that, you know, we, we took on a certain different way of being. Um and I'm finding it really fascinating that recently I heard this in the Fijian culture, kids are basically held for years. Like pretty much there's someone strapped to the baby, they have these little halter strap things, and the baby is in contact physically skin to skin with someone um, through their development years. And it's interesting like just where the psychology sort of, There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 
over time I've had to come to terms with the fact that I have certain like hypochondriac tendencies. And I totally understand, like obviously I don't mean that to what my tendencies are not like extreme. So someone that actually has hypochondria no disrespect. Mm. But um like a clean pillow means something to me. I wouldn't sit on my pillow, you know. When I first started dating my girlfriend, she was totally cool with like this pillow. You can use it for whatever you need to you can use sit on it, sit on it, sit on it, sit on it's a pillow, mate. And I was like, whoa, like you're completely throwing my paradigm on like what cleanliness means to me in but I realised it's just a form of hypochondria. Mm. But I realised that as I reflected on this idea of kids always being held, I started thinking, like, when you sleep, do you hold your baby? Because in the West, we have babies' cots to isolate them so that we don't roll over and suffocate them or traumatize our baby in any way. But the reality is that chemically, somehow, our lack of connection and disconnecting from our baby. And a lot of times, like, some mothers are trained, leave your baby in the cot and just let it cry. Once it cries out, it'll be all right, and it'll learn not to cry for your attention anymore. Yeah, it's called controlled crying. Controlled crying. This disconnection thing, yeah. yeah. So um, there's a guy called Robin Grill, um, who's, I think he's, he's written a bunch of books on parenting. His books are fantastic. Yeah. And one of the incredible subjects, which is really triggering to actually read, mm. is about controlled crying. And so people don't know what controlled crying is. It's, it's a very successful parenting practice that most of us are exposed to. Yeah. The further back you go, the more we're exposed to it. Mm. Especially if you think about, say, the baby boomers generation, the parents' generation, for example. Often there was big families mm. after World War II. Yep. And that means that the parents didn't have enough time or space to actually give their, their children the attunement bonding they needed. Mm. So control crying was very normal for our parents, but they passed it on to us. A lot of these parenting practices are just passed on really mm. unconsciously. Yep. Control crying means that you put a baby down to sleep by itself, and it might take two or three days of them mm. just crying and crying and crying and crying, and then they fall asleep. And then after a few days, you do it, and they just go to sleep. And mm. you think, great, I've just trained my baby to put themselves to sleep. Mm. I'm a good parent. Mm. What actually is neurologically occurring for the baby now with the sort of science we have access to mm. is showing that controlled crying is very detrimental for brain development when it comes to how we feel as an adult. Mm. So when a baby is put down to sleep in this way, their stress hormones are going up and up and up and up and up because they, a baby shouldn't be going to sleep not in contact with a person mm. because the way we evolved as a species means that if you're asleep, you want to be safe. As a baby, you can't defend yourself from other people or predator or dangers. So being close to someone yeah. is really important. That's why the stress hormones happen. That's why they cry. I shouldn't be in this situation. That's why I'm crying. And it's, 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 the baby will actually activate their nervous system in a way um, which is parasympathetic, mm. which is how we relax, but it activates in a very negative, extreme way mm. where the baby will knock themselves out to protect themselves from their own stress hormones. From the awareness of that stress. Yeah, it's right. They actually protect themselves from the, the hormones that are flooding their system. Mm. Cortisol um, will kill you, but slowly. Mm. So the baby needs to work it away just to knock itself out so it's not aware of the dangerous situation. Right. Yeah. So I'll read a quote here. It's, this is from Dr. James W. Prescott at the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development in the United mm. States. A secure psychophysiological body connection between mother and infant is the first foundation of love upon which all other love relationships are built. Mm. The human primate is the only mammal that separates the newborn and mother. Mm and denies the newborn the succor of the mother's breasts, 
this separation violates the most universal of evolutionary principles. So when you're talking about the sort of swaddling in certain cultures where the baby is held on the body all the time, mm. this is what babies need. Yeah. There are many indigenous cultures where this is, and not even the parents, someone. Yeah. Like in some Brazilian um, Amazonian cultures, the baby will only be put down to do its thing if it really, really wants it. Mm. Otherwise, it's kept on someone where they're often quite happy to go to sleep or wake mm. up or breastfeed in the same space. Achievement therapy is based on this principle. Mm. So if you um, have had the amazing experience of having like a, a toddler, for example, mm. and it's bedtime for them, and you read a story or something like that, and you go to sleep, they will they will want to be against your body, and whether you're carrying them or you're in bed with them mm. while they go to sleep. Yeah. And you can experiment. You can just, just break contact a little bit, yeah. even when you think they're asleep, and they will grab your arm and put it back around them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or just move closer to you. Yeah. You can't break contact with them mm. very easily while they're awake and have them go to sleep. Mm. They need that physical contact mm. to totally relax and go into a natural, healthy sleep. So controlled crying, again, which most of us are exposed to, yeah. creates a habit in the brain where we feel we are alone in this world mm-hmm. and we have to become hypervigilant. Yeah. This means that we um, these sorts of stress hormones that it creates and this, this imbalance in the nervous system when it comes to rest can lead to an adult life where our vagus nerve is not functioning properly. So the vagus nerve is responsible for digestion and all of our visceral organ functions. So if you're in a hypervigilant state, mm. um, you can't relax in this way. This is why trauma and digestive health problems go hand in hand. Yeah. Because trauma leaves you in a higher baseline mm. activation of the sympathetic nervous system. That means that you're a bit stressed all the time, even yeah. when you're asleep, because you might be ready to wake up and defend yourself. Mm. So often trauma, in particular sexual trauma, you don't digest properly because the blood isn't in your gut properly. And this means that you can have uh, more susceptibility to any kind of infection as well. And all the other things that go with digestive health issues, you know, with that, when you're not, you're not processing food properly, yeah, yeah. that can lead to all kinds of other issues. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that fascinates me is like the ancient cultures, like when you look at Ayurveda or Dao's, like, like, Tonic herbalism, but always talk about how the gut is related to your relationship with the outside world. And they obviously look at it from a perspective humbly, from what I saw, was like that's where the outside world is assimilated into your inside world. But at the same time, what you're describing now is also the relationship with like how our traumas are actually like biochemically related to that area of our body mm-hmm. and things are switching on and off. That's right. And so it's, and I think that highlights something that you're trying to drive home, which is these are ancient understandings <laughs> missing in today's day and age. Mm. And um, something that I wanted to ask you before is, you know, the idea that, you know, we, on one hand, like epigenetics suggests that, or not suggests, but proves that, you know, we are just switch, like our subconscious is consistently a, a set of switches that are on, click, 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 on, 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 off, 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 on, 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 off, off, and not even like we're conscious about it. It's our parents being in our field mm-hmm. and like literally those things just switching on and off to, like you said, mirror neurons mm-hmm. to pick that up. The thing that I, like is so notable for me at the moment, especially the way that, you know, just to give you an example, I'm a podcaster 
and a mindfulness and meditation coach and an emotional intelligence like trainer, right? Mm-hmm. Now, sure, they were a career for some people maybe five years ago, ten years ago, mm. but now, mm. <laughs> you know, like what is a Facebook marketer? What is a social media strategist? Like these careers yeah. didn't exist five years ago. Totally. So the world that my parents geared me up for was I was either going to be an engineer, a, uh, a doctor, or a lawyer, or a failure. <laughs> you know? All right. like they, did, they did the best that they could mm-hmm. like to put me forward for the world that they were built up in. Mm-hmm. Right? But now the world that I've landed in is completely different to whatever they understood. And I can't point the finger and be like, you did, they did the best of what they had. Mm-hmm. And But my life experience is teaching me that three years from now, five years from now, there are going to be careers, and technology is going to evolve the world around us to certain points that I won't even recognize it. Right? And there's going to be different things to do, different ways to be of service. How, like, did my environment, and this comes up again and again for me in a lot of the work that I do with people, I just ask the question sometimes is, did you stand a chance? Because mm. we're all quick, so quick to, like, berate ourselves. Like, mm. The internal dialogue for a lot of people is so negative. Um, it's like, oh, you know, like, I'm lazy, or, I, you know, I'm like this, and I don't really like that I do this, and I'm not really that constructive, or... I'm like, yeah, but did you really stand a chance? You know, it's like your your epigenetics, your quantum like biology was set up in a certain way for a different world. And now you're here in 2018 and you have to learn to adapt and be dynamic mm-hmm. and adopt mindsets that are fluid mm. all the time. You look at like something really simple. When I grew up studying, and I'm sure it was much the same for you, retention of information was really valuable. Mm. Like going to a maths exam was like how like how well can you remember information and facts and how fast did you write right you yeah. know and like now it's like that's all gone out the window mm. because it's like well this remembers everything yeah. <laughs> how resourceful am I using my tools mm. so now it's like resourcefulness is much more like imperative to memory mm. you know and different parts of our brains are changing based on that and so the world that we're that we're built for is very different to the world that we're actually in. Mm. Mm. Yeah, man. I mean, one of the interesting things here as well is like looking at what our parents gave us, and some people go into quite a bit of uh, anger and resentment as well, but mm-hmm. like how they understand things now and how their parents understood things in a different way. Mm-hmm. Like back to control crime, our parents thought that was groovy, mm-hmm. you know, and because of these scientific understandings now, we go, oh, but what's actually really simple is actually listening to what kids need innately, listening to what babies need, mm-hmm. and holding that space, yeah. you know, as a as, as much as we can as a, a well, self-regulating, peaceful, present, caring parent. Mm. So like doing that kind of work on ourselves to prepare, we want to be a parent, mm. to, 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 to treat our kids in a way that is, feels very natural for us. Yeah. We're really tuning into their needs and, and, and holding space for them. Because when a kid's um, physical bonding achievement needs are met, they're very greedy kids to be around. Yeah. Because if they're not picked up enough or held enough or they're not co-sleeping, mm. then this is going to express in different ways. Mm. You know, whether it be, you know, um, other forms of addiction that can happen with young kids, especially, yeah. you know, screens and sugar and all these kinds of things mm. or media and advertising. It's, it's, it's really far out. Mm. You know, it's, it's an amazing thing. So, yeah, man, I'm, I'm really excited about this work and it's, it's, it's an amazing modality. And, if you like, we can talk a bit about like what achievement therapy is, because sure. a lot of people just like um, they hear a bit about it, and it's, it seems very radical. Mm. And one of the things um, I encourage people to do is to feel inside your nervous system with this information, because 
the more radical this seems to you. Yeah, let's talk about triggers. <laughs> yeah, the more radical this seems to you, the more the more you probably need it. Mm. Yeah, because when we when we resist things naturally, it's often because um, we don't want to be hurt again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the really cool things is like you know different types of workshops out there around the place, and say so one of the things that can come up is eye gazing. Mm. The sort of connection you get with people, yeah. and it's always funny. Like if you're in a workshop and you talk about eye gazing, yeah. to to notice how many people go, "Oh my god!" You know, and you go, oh, "There's the door. Anyone can leave now." <laughs> and one of the things I like to to consider is that the more resistant you feel to eye gazing with a stranger, yeah. the more that is something you need. Yeah, because generally, you know, the idea of eye gazing or being held yeah. by a practitioner. Um, is if it's if it seems alarming or dangerous to you, this means that your the level of trust in your nervous system with human connection is is waning, mm. and it is the the easiest way to fix this is human connection. Right. Yeah. So, human therapy is it's based on those principles of what babies need and how they need to be held, but we do it with adults. Yeah. You know, that seems crazy. Mm. You know, it really does seem crazy. Mm. So. A session with an attunement therapist means that you you have about a three hour space. That way, it's not rushed. Mm. Same with kids. You know, you don't you don't want to like put them down or break contact with them when they're not ready. Yeah. Because for the way the biology of disconnection or loss works with children is that oh my dad's broken up with my mum and he's gone. Mm. It's because there's something wrong with me. Yeah. Right. Children don't think dad's got. If you're three, you don't think my dad's got his own issues and yeah. some stuff going on and whatever. You don't think like that. You think there's something wrong with yourself. Yeah. This means that if we have discreet parenting mm. or just not being held or touched or engaged with enough, yeah. just have a laptop put in front of you, an iPad, whatever. Mm. That means that we we think there's something wrong with ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So we allow three hours for a session where we can tune in with someone's like a, an intention, what's happening in their life. It's mm-hmm. very simple. You know, yeah. what's going on for you? Yeah. And it can just be stress and anxiety. Yeah. Because the opposite of stress and anxiety is connection. Mm. And then what we do in a session, once we've gone through that, is we just sit in front of each other and just hold hands and eye gaze. And what this does is it gains an energetic rapport mm. with, with the practitioner where the person, um, any stress they have about connection can often be, come up and be diffused in that process. That will come up. Right. And you'll notice with eye gazing, people start to relax more and more. And there's an experience in the body that occurs, which is very relaxing, and it's like a, a oneness experience where you, you kind of see yourself in the other person. <laughs> and the reason this is so relaxing is because when we were in the womb, we were surrounded by the celestial... Idiotic fluid <laughs> that's providing all of our warmth and nourishment and safety, yeah, security, and we think it's us. Mm. It's just there. When babies are in the second nine months of gestation, yeah, which is hopefully at least nine months of breastfeeding, yeah. then a couple of years of breastfeeding. Breastfeeding's, you know, so so important for healthy healthy development. Yeah. And that closeness is the key here. So during breastfeeding, the baby's psych relapses into being in the womb where they actually don't know they're separate from their mum. Yeah. So it's that sort of security and that sort of oneness experience. So when you feel completely one with and safe and connected to someone else, this allows the brain to do the healing and updating it needs to do. Mm. This is why if a baby runs into a wall and you're like, 
oh, that looked really painful and they're crying. And the imam will fix them up. And they just stop crying. And then they're like, okay, put me down six seconds later. Yeah. And you're going, wow, that must have hurt. What happened? Mm. That connection makes them go, okay, cool, no, I'm sweet. And their brain automatically releases something called beta endorphins, which are natural pain-killing opiates that occur in the brain. Mm. If you don't get picked up enough when you're in stress as a kid, that means that you don't develop those neural pathways. So that means that people who don't have their attunement needs met physically mm. as a kid don't develop the neural pathways for automatically de-stressing. Mm. So when you have a, a, an, an opiate from outside your own psychopharmacology, mm. like heroin or oxy, oxy, um, oxycodone or morphine, these types of symptoms, alcohol can apply here too. That means that you experience a release and a sense of pleasure mm. far beyond someone who has a healthy attunement right. um, beginning their life. Mm. So the people who become addicted to these sorts of uh, chemistry mm. are people who went home enough. And the more we explore addiction, the more we can see it often comes from these very early um, fundamental times in life, the first three years usually, rules our susceptibility to addictions to all kinds of things. Mm. The same with ADD. Like ADD is it's where stress means that the brain develops in a way which is slightly out of whack. But not out of whack in the sense that it's bad. Mm. It's developing in a way that makes us really fast, really able to calculate, really aware of the environment, mm. really vigilant, really strong. Mm. And we've got a special brain that goes with that strong body so we can do things. But you know, that means that you might, you know, steal things or hurt someone because your ability to rationalize future consequences is out the door. Mm. This is why they say that most of the prison population is ADD, because they weren't able to rationalize consequences of what they're doing. Mm. And their strong subconscious faculties means that they often just, oh, I want that, I want to do that, and they just do it. Impossible. That's right. So that means that the prefrontal cortex didn't get developed properly because mm. the blood wasn't there. Yeah, right. That we know from cell biology that when we're under stress, the, 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 the blood vessels on this part of the brain constrict. Mm. So when it's long-term stress, like children especially, yeah. we don't develop this part of the brain. ADD develops in the womb. Mm. If your mum's stressed, you experience mm. her stress, or outside of the womb. So the really crazy thing about ADD is that what brings the brain to balance is a speedy-like drug, whether it's Ritalin or um, cocaine or crack mm. or ice or steam, mm. if you have ADD, these things allow you to chill out and focus. Same with tobacco, same mm. with coffee. Mm. This boosts the prefrontal cortex and it turns off all the other subconscious impulses mm. and reduces them so you can focus and write an essay. Mm. This is why we have university students all around us who write epic essays on Ritalin. <laughs> yeah? It's, yeah. And this is really happening. Yeah. And one of the tricks in our culture is is um, ice is cheaper than Ritalin. Mm. And it has a very debilitating effect on physical health, but it's more available. Yeah. So a lot of people smoke ice so they can chill. Mm. If you don't have ADD, these these drugs will hype you up. Yeah. Because you don't need them to come to balance. Mm. So there's all sorts of things going on there, and so much of the time it comes from really child brain development. I think that's somewhere that I want to go into next with you is um, actually acknowledging that perhaps there is something in your childhood that needs addressing, mm. you know. Um, for me, and just to be, you know, vulnerable and transparent, I, um, 
you know, I still maintain to some part that, you know, I had this incredible childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my parents were migrants and they did the best that they could. Mm-hmm. And then they instilled some really epic values, you know, like hard work, um, integrity, and just, yeah, some, some really cool, like, things that have really meant a lot to me over time. Um, but also I've had, um, like, I was, I was flogged a lot as a kid, let's just put it that way. Um, and I remember justifying it to my friends in the future. It was like, my, uh, my mother definitely loves me. Her mentality was just, the harder she'll kick me, the further I'll go. <laughs> in life, you know. And, um, and now I look back and, you know, I used to just laugh it off. And I think many of us do that. And I was reading um, some work by Alice Miller. Um, the drama of The Gifted Child really helped me take a moment to really pause and reflect on my childhood and um, and just take a moment to perhaps acknowledge that actually, no, there have been some challenges in there. Like, mm. I'm having challenges as an adult all the time. Mm. What's to suggest that I wouldn't have had challenges as a child, mm. you know? But I think a lot of us, um, it's like a tap of awareness that will just turn off or something. Mm. To me, it was like that. It was just like childhood, yeah moved on from that, now I'm in the world doing things, and I never really look back into it. Mm. Even though I had the awareness that, you know, like a lot of cultures say, I think it was Jesuits, and they said, you know, you show me the child up to the age of seven, and I'll show you the man, you know? And uh, similar to what you've been sharing, it's, you know, I'm aware from, like, all the meditation work that I do that there's different brainwave states that we're in, and uh, we spend most of our, like, we're, we as beings give the most premature births of any mammal, right? Mm. So our kids are still in development. They're still in that, like, delta wave state where they're still actually in hypnosis, but they're taking the world on in hypnosis. So this is all, like, a hypnotherapy trip to them, but they're actually, like, learning. And that's why they absorb everything like a sponge because you're in that hypnotherapy state. That's why you can like, learn to quit in that hypnotherapy state because it's so suggestive and so potent. And so you take that on from that state consistently, mm. And then there's so much that's happening, and surely there would have been some things that were positive, and surely there were some things that could have been better. Mm. Um, for me, it was only recently that you know I took a moment to go, actually, I've just sort of shelved it off as 75% of it was positive, my childhood was good, moving on. you know. Mm. But then taking a moment to go, actually, there are some unresolved things. Um, for me personally, I've lost a couple of people recently to death, um, my dog and a mentor of mine. And it really struck home, but some of it didn't land. Mm. And I was like, why didn't it really land? Like, what's going on in here that Mm. I didn't really feel like all of the emotional brunt of what happened? And I was like, actually, I'm kind of a little bit disconnected from the process of negative emotions. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm really well equipped or geared to process negative emotions correctly. Mm -hmm. And correctly is an interesting way to use that, Mm -hmm. but to fully process Mm things. And then I started reflecting on like, you know, was I enabled to sort of have a negative response as a kid? And perhaps not, you know, like Mm. it was like, oh, if you're acting out, you know, it's like get back in line, Mm. Mm. you know, if you're doing something negative, get back in line, you know, and Mm. it's like, and that's, and like you said, that's not fault of the parent, it's just Mm. what they, they were were encouraged to do the same thing again and again and again, that's just Mm. standard down, but if you're feeling something negative, you know, allowing the space to sort of go through that, like Mm. sitting and pondering death and just allowing that process to happen has been a massive transformation for me just over the last two or three months, you know, but I've actually had to be vigilant and sit there with myself and not try to, like, shrug it off and go back to, like, the jovial self that I know that can escape 
the negative emotions that need to be processed through my body. And that's come through awareness of like, actually, no, I'm too tight when people mention certain things, you know, like triggers and stuff. And so I think what I really want to get into is like, you know, we may acknowledge, we probably don't acknowledge stuff um, that has actually happened. Mm. And is that some form of protection mechanism? Well, what's incredible about what you're saying is that sometimes we have these automatic habits of blocking these things out, mm. right? It's just, this is what we do. Mm. One of the amazing, thing that, amazing things that occurs with tumor therapy is people suddenly have these things come up that are unre- unreviewed, unresolved, mm. once they're being held, yeah, right? right? So our ability to self-regulate emotion or not self-regulate emotion is often, um, we, some things just lay un- under the surface in our mm. body until we're in the right environment, and then the body will automatically start to deal with it. Because the, the nervous system is so intelligent mm. that it, it wants to move energy out of the body, Right. And to come back into balance. Mm. But it's, it's seeking the right environment we can actually do that. Mm. Often, for many of us, the right environment is completely misplaced. Right. And like, we might have a lot of closeness with our children and with our partner, but this sort of um, safe physical space where these things can come up, mm. especially for men, where you can just be held by your partner yeah. and allow these things to come up. Because yeah. unfortunately, we have a, a global male vulnerability deficit. This is where we. We are denying how we feel as men because we think it's uh, it's attractive for a start, mm-hmm. that it's sexy, and that we also, a lot of men, um, this, this is women too, let's talk about men, is that we mm-hmm. feel that um, how we actually feel is a massive burden on other people. Mm-hmm. So we follow it up and we try and do these solo healing missions, mm-hmm. you know, these sort of extreme things. And I'm going to read a quote here from a, a client who had a, a tumor therapy session here in Melbourne. Yeah. All my life, I've been searching for something really fucking angry. Searching for something, not knowing what it is. Going from drugs to spiritual groups to avoiding people to everything outside myself, trying to find it inside myself. Mm. I could not find anything at all. And then realizing within two minutes of laying on Lauren's chest, Lauren is a therapist. That's what I was missing. I was missing that connection, that mother connection, that love that I never received. Now, this guy was taken at birth into adoption by, by a nunnery, you know. Mm. He didn't get to lie on his mother's chest. He didn't get breastfed. He didn't get these things. And he's, there was something missing. He didn't even know what it was because the loss he experienced is not cognitive memory. Yeah. This is in his nervous system. Mm. So what's incredible about these sessions is you, the client will lie next to your body and you kind of you hold each other's arms and they put their head... On, on your chest where they can hear your heartbeat. Mm. And this this sound, this experience, whether it's electrical or it's a field, who knows? Mm. But when they can relax into the space, what happened in his session is he managed to get out a lot of the, the anger around what happened to him as a baby right. and, and being fostered out to different parents. Yeah. He was able to process that and then naturally came back into balance during the session without any intervention. Mm. of complete peace and atonement and forgiveness where he experienced a memory, and he recreated a memory naturally where his biological mother was there a part of his childhood and so were his foster parents. Mm. And they were, they were all there together and there was a lot of peace and love. So what happens in a session is generally we hold people for 60 to 90 minutes. Mm. You get the nice sort of comfy semi-reclined space. Mm. And 
what happens is people naturally go into this kind of hypnotic state, mm. hypnagogic state, yeah. super conscious state. Yeah. Whatever it is, we, we want to start doing um, live brain scanning, scanning with the human therapy to see what's awesome. going on. Because um, yeah. the technology for this is quite available now. Yeah. And to show that there's something very profound happening because people, when you're holding them as well, you get someone who's got a, a trauma or a lot of stress. We have a thing called the three pillars of consent for a session. This means right. someone needs to feel safe. Mm-hmm. It's like, come here, I'm going to hold you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. you also tune in like, I don't want anything from you. And you've got to be really clear with this. Yeah. Because a lot of people, physical connection, say, for, say, say women, yeah. physical connection might mean that um, whoever's holding you wants to be sexual with you. It's a very loaded experience. A loaded based experience. On society. This means that you're yeah. thinking about a future event where you have to provide or do something. Mm. Well, you're a man, and your your wife comes up behind you, and she's rubbing your shoulders, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. What you want? Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, you know, you said you got to paint the roof last month. Right? <laughs> I just wanted the shoulders. <laughs> so for a lot of us, again, we're thinking about what does this person want from me mm. through physical touch. That means our ability to receive is quite impaired because we're thinking about a future event, mm. which is a type of stress and anxiety. Right. The other thing is expectation of some eureka amazing result. Mm. If you're like thinking about this enlightenment healing experience you're going to get as well you're thinking about the future. So to let that go, to, to let go that, that you know, to really uh, understand that practitioner doesn't want anything from you. Mm. So the training for practitioners is quite specific in yeah. the sense that we are helping practitioners understand how we're in training as a culture to have a hyper self-entitlement and hyper self-gratification. Where um, through our, um, especially through um, the barrage of sexual media thrown at us, we, we come to a place where we want to experience these sort of sexual things or and entitlement as well. We live in a very entitled culture with a lot of abundance, mm. which means we think we deserve all these things. Mm. However, to get the things we need, sometimes that we really think we deserve, means you need to almost commodify another person's body to use their body to gratify yourself. Mm. And to look at that entrainment and to let all that go as a practitioner and to come into a parental energy. Yeah. So this modality is really cool in the sense that it's parental. Mm. What does this infant need right now? Because mm. you can hold someone and you really feel that they need to be two years old. Mm-hmm. And they come out of the session going, oh, I felt like I was two years old. You know? <laughs> when you are holding your baby, yeah. right, you're just giving them what they need. You're mm. not going to put them down until they're ready. You're, not get, you're just going to tune into where they need, they need some food, they need to be changed, like what's going on, parental energy, what do they need? Mm. As a practitioner, they need to just be held. Mm. It's so simple. And people don't get this in our culture. Maybe, mm. maybe in some families or close friendships. Yeah, awesome, but it's, it's a, it, it's a, this is radical. Mm. So the whole intention here is to de-radicalize the sense of touch to where we don't even need to heal the modality. This modality can just delete itself once we normalize this kind of connection in our friendships and in our families, right? right? And in our relationships. Mm. Where you might be having a hard day or something stressing you out, and you actually know, or you're triggered by something in your past or a, a, a loss or mm. grief, and you can share it with your partner and go, oh, I just need you to hold me for a little bit. Mm. That's it. And then where this becomes normal, right? Mm. So these sessions, what you find is many people have a bit too much stress and anxiety in their life, this is in the culture, and as you're holding them, after about 20 minutes, 
you notice something occurring in your body, which is really interesting. And the more you give attention, the more you become sensitive in this way, they get heavier. Uh Why do they get heavier? That means that their their nervous system is activating in the the rest and digest and heal Mm. um, um, function, which is called parasympathetic. This is the vagus nerve activating too, so it can do what it needs to do in the gut. Mm. And the reason they get heavier is because the blood is draining from their limbs, from their arms and legs, into their viscera. And you can feel them go, oh, and they kind of sink into you. And this is when you know that the magic is starting to happen. Mm. When this occurs, these, like they said, you've got some, some, some grief coming up, and these things you want to feel more, then the body will start to naturally feel these things. Because mm. you're in a space where it's welcome. Yeah. And the practitioner is not going to let you go. They're not going to reject you on the grounds that you become emotional. Yeah. You don't put down the baby because they're crying. Yeah. You know, that's annoying. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't work like yeah. that. Then, then they will go into shame and guilt yeah. and, and learn that that is not welcome. Mm. And again, a lot of us do not express emotion because our parents might not have been able to cope with it mm. during early infancy. Mm. Then they seem to go into this hypnotic state mm. where they seem like they're asleep, but they're not. Yeah. And what's really cool here is, as practitioners, we, we tune into their um, their intention. Right. You know, I don't feel safe in my life, for example. Or I feel, you know, stressed and I don't feel like I belong. And when they're in the state, you start to, you whisper in the ear positive affirmations. This is like post-emotic suggestion. You're really loved. You're really welcome here. Mm-hmm. You, you, you belong on this earth. You're a beautiful person. You know, you're a, you're a creative being and you have so much potential and you're so welcome. Mm. These have a very profound effect because you are speaking directly into the subconscious nervous system. This means that these sorts of positive affirmations become the, the natural the natural tape that's playing as opposed to, you know, I don't belong or I'm ugly or I'm, I'm lazy, mm. you know, these sorts of things. So the, the natural um, bliss of being a human mm. is playing normally through your head. Right. This seems really radical. And mm. the, the, the far out is through one session people are having these experiences and sure, getting more than one session is good too. You can go deeper and deeper once you're familiar with the process. Like the, 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 the thing I just mentioned, this guy, this is two weeks after his session, he said, I'm a completely different person. Mm. Everything is different. I'm learning to be the new me. Because I felt this connection. This guy was, you know, adopted out of birth. I felt this connection. Mm. I can use this in my future relationships. I want to share this connection with my partner. So now he's got all this drive to connect more with mm. people and to share his experience. Yeah. Not as a practitioner or anything like that, but to go, well, I want to get a partner and I want to feel this closeness yeah. and this love, you know, and with his children to feel that is inherently a normal thing. Yeah, so we can look at the science of what he's experienced and say his availability of oxytocin is completely changed. Mm. That means that your drive to connect and the amount of reward and pleasure you get from connection mm. is, is heightened. Mm. And the more you connect, the more this builds. And this is what it's like to be a normal human. Right. We want to connect. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> so, Gabo, like I said, you know, we are wired for connection. <laughs> I just thought it was my highest value. <laughs> So, uh, we all like to connect. You know, it's everybody's value. 
And if we weren't, if we were yeah. not hyper connection, then it wouldn't be stressful. Mm. We were disconnected. Yeah. It's really simple. Yeah. So when you're talking about something simple, this is something that's just echoing in the back of my head. And like we've been on the journey of an opportunity to heal for quite some time. Um, and there's been a lot that you've explored, you know, uh, on the record, off the record. There's been a lot. Um, mm. You know, we've gone all the way deep with Gabriel Mate, we've explored Bruce Lipton, we've explored quantum physics, we've done epigenetics, we've done quantum biology, we've talked philosophy, psychology, you've even looked at, you know, sacred sexual practices, all these random things, but like really deep embedded cultures. Mm. And the thing that fascinates me now is that having walked, and this was the thing that I actually loved the most about, you know, like getting into these conversations, mm. is that it was such deep conversations, and we could go down any one rabbit hole, and it'd just be like, we could still go deeper, and we're running out of time, you yeah. know, it's like, and the thing is that, I think the thing that fascinated me the most is how after you went deep enough, you started realizing that everybody was kind of saying the same thing, Yeah. you know, at a certain point. And the thing that I'm most in awe of in this moment is that actually out of all of that, the truth is always simple. What you come up with mm. is, yes, it may have, I'm not even sure if it's that triggering, but maybe I'm a bit more open to it, mm. um, but it is really simple. It's really simple. I mean, the hilarious thing really is that I've been I've been researching for thirteen years. Mm -hmm. I've been specifically working. Yeah, you can see the humor in that all the time. A lot of information. A lot of books. A lot yeah. of a lot of stuff, man. Yeah. And the the far out thing is that I I was working mostly, you know, with this with that research as a trauma therapist, mm -hmm. and moving more onto counseling and coaching, sexuality, yep. this sort of thing. Holding space yeah. for, for whatever's coming up for someone. Mm. And the reason I got into trauma so much, and specifically sexual trauma, is mm. I could see that this was the main thing holding a culture back. Yeah. Because the way it, it, it holographically affects so many people. Like yeah. a damaged person can go out and damage 10 more people. Mm. So we have this exponential trauma. Whereas uh, an, uh, someone who's in, in love with life can go out and share that love with 10 more people. So mm. it can go exponentially either way. Mm. All the things you just mentioned, all these kind of areas of research, whether it be epigenetics or cell biology, brain development, mm -hmm. quantum medicine, quantum physics, um, epigenetics, this all applies to attunement therapy. Mm -hmm. So I've created a very um, a very groovy, succinct practitioner training manual where mm -hmm. we would bring in a lot of this data and see how how just holding someone can upregulate their epigenetics, change their, change their hormone and makeup, change their, um, their view of their past, quantum medicine, this sort of thing. And it's really, really, really cosmic. Mm -hmm. And one of the other areas, when it, comes, when it comes to like ethics and integrity and philosophy and this sort of thing, like what it means to be a human, this is also a very important aspect of understanding what we're bringing to the table as a person. Uh, where did all this click in together for you from the opportunity to heal mm -hmm. um, to then having attunement therapy come in to drop? Like, were you. Whose chest are you lying on? <laughs> and what was the little, what was the drop-in moment that this was actually like? I know we've often in previous episodes talked about connection and lack of connection, um, and how you know, like even the, the whole essence of. I remember the first podcast, the biggest takeaway for me personally was all about competition and how that disconnection is just breeding, you know, like all this um, dis-ease in mm. society, mm. and it's obviously now it's coming full circle to the connection and. Um, yeah, where was this? Where did this really drop mm -hmm. in anchor into mm -hmm. becoming? What was the founding moment? Was there an aha moment? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Well, a lot of the research I've done has led up to this without me knowing that it was happening. Of course. Yeah. And I've, I've been playing around with the subject a bit in my kind of private mind chatter <laughs> because I lacked the, um, some of the essential principles to be sharing this. Mm. It's a strong, how, how do we make a healing modality like this um, come to be yeah. in a way that is safe mm. and, um, you know, that can grow yeah. and that it's easy to learn. Mm. So a lot of those, I, I, I was in Bali three months this year, and I did, I did a lot of the more succinct um, research and writing yeah. about attunement therapy. Sure. At the same time, um, I was connecting with this practitioner friend here in Melbourne, mm. um, Lauren Zuckerman. She's down just south of St. Kilda, mm. and she's like a counsellor and coach and similar kind of background as me. Sure. And she works in singing as well, gives singing lessons, yoga lessons, yeah. this sort of thing. And she was having these intuitive kind of ideas around holding people more. Mm. And something I shared online mm. really caught her attention right. around this subject. She got in touch with me and said, look, I want to start doing this. I'm like, well, this is exactly what I'm writing right now. Mm. So we developed these principles around how to give sessions, and she just started giving sessions. Yeah. And everything that I was um, hypothesizing mm. that would occur in a session was happening straight away in sessions. And we were like, what? Yeah. Okay, fuck up. And one of the um, really interesting um, documents that we got that really put us on this level was one of her clients had long-term addiction, stress and anxiety, his life, had lots of money and all these things, lots of failed marriages, mm. and just uh, very anxious kind of mind. Yeah. And he had the experience of lying on his girlfriend's chest mm. where he um, he wrote about it really clearly in an amazing way where all the kind of chatter and anxiety and stress just turned off. Mm. And he lost a sense of time and space mm. and had a very uh, relaxing moment. He can't remember ever having a moment like that in his life. And we're like, okay, there's, there's so much information <laughs> from different angles of like flashing lights. Yeah. Hey, yo, yo, you know. Yeah. And the kind of some of the eureka moments like that. Mm. But um, reading all of Gabor Mathe's books mm. was really interesting because him and a lot of other writers are talking about these the the long term effect of these types of um this lacking we had sometimes in our early childhood mm. from, from types of parenting that are very normal. Sure. Yeah. And we're in some cultures where kids are swallowed a lot and held on the body, these these issues don't exist for them. Mm. You know. So we live in a culture which I've also been aware of like I teach workshops on what I call the global global male vulnerability deficit. Mm. Also, what I call the corrupt guru, which is about a, a system of misogyny all around us, so just hatred hate towards women, which yeah. is normalized. And um, a lot of these sort of things I've been aware of. Mm. But in particular, reading these books by these older doctors and scientists, mm. a lot of them come from this kind of stoic yeah. 1950s kind of upbringing where their parents were too busy mm. to, to give them the opportunities they need. But they're such smart people that they realised what they didn't get mm. and have written a lot about it and realised Gabriel Martin in particular worked in palliative care. This is people who are dying. Mm. And they know they're dying. There's nothing else that can be done. Mm-hmm. And he would interview them as their doctor, like, what, ha- what, what happened in your life, mm. you know, to try and understand what causes certain illnesses. And he wrote a book where he started to map out the emotional profiles say breast cancer, for example, or testicular cancer, or um, rheumatoid arthritis, or ankylosing spondylitis. And a lot of these things here as well, things like Alzheimer's too, 
We're talking about autoimmune diseases. Mm. This is where the immune system is attacking the body. Mm. But these are caused by stress. Mm. These are caused by disconnection. Yeah. The interesting thing about the emotional profiles is, say, women with breast cancer are often putting the needs of other people close to them first. Right. So he found by interviewing a woman dying with breast cancer, then interviewing another teen or 50, mm. that what they were saying was quite similar about their life story. There's a pattern. Yeah. So they talk about this disconnection, disconnection, disconnection. And none of them really talk about a, a solution to reconnect. to reconnect that isn't just a talking therapy right. or a meditation. Right. Or it's often something you do on your own. Mm. We'll lead you through a meditation or a process, and we say, we're not going to touch you. Yeah. And there's all these issues around touch yeah. when it comes to um, oversight and um, mm. ethics, integrity, consent, yeah. and legal stuff, legal yeah. issues. So a lot of people want to protect their credentials, protect yeah. their, themselves as a person by not talking about these things. Yeah. So would you say that for you the – the benefits are so much more like so important that it's like if we can just knock the ethics out Boom. and get that solid, there are a myriad of benefits is just the world that works for us. And that's what I've been working on because mm-hmm. we are so lucky to have this incredible access to all this research of these incredible people, whether it be through the internet or through books, um, yeah. through video. We have access to all this information, but the, the younger generations, we can actually – we don't quite have the same foundation of these kind of these older doctors and researchers. Mm. That means that we can look at things with a more radical mind. Yeah. But it's only radical to them. Yeah. And to renormalize things that are actually fundamental human needs. Mm-hmm. So I'm aware of how much resistance there is yeah. in, say, the mainstream medical model, for example, mm-hmm. or in, say, some of the religious models or yeah. just different societal models where we see independence and hypervigilance as a um, as a virtue. Mm. And it is a virtue in a hostile culture. Yeah. But we are living in a culture which is actually very safe mm. and um, abundant. Mm-hmm. We have what we need. Mm. Which means <laughs> which means we have the option yeah. to evolve Emotionally, mm-hmm. evolve spiritually, yeah. evolve physically, mm-hmm. to become healthier beings. Yeah. So we have what we need, but unfortunately we've inherited some of these um, really redundant ideas mm-hmm. around this connection as a virtue. Yeah? Like this stoic, um, stoic means like not having emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to be a, a good soldier or a, a, good, a good person working in forestry, you know, you don't want to feel the finite nature of an old-growth forest in Tasmania if you're chopping down trees. If you can really feel the fact that you're chopping down an old tree that's going to take thousands of years to regrow, mm. you're not going to be able to work properly. So you need to shut down the emotional parts of yourself to be a work in that industry mm. or to even own that industry. Mm. It's the same for a lot of corporate military things, fisheries, agriculture. In New Zealand at the moment, the, the money that people are getting from dairy means that dairy farming is expanded in such a way which is polluting. But New Zealand's supposed to be this clean, green, really place, green place. But the, the waterways are being polluted by uh, cattle farming mm. um, in a really dangerous way. Yeah. And, but it's, so it makes so much money. <laughs> like, so you need to be disconnected in a certain manner to be a healthy, 
happy dairy farmer, but disconnected from your connection to the earth. Mm. So this is we we are young and radical. Mm. We are we're able to look at things with a new perspective. Mm. Like there was these children the other week, like um, walking out of school and protesting at the government about the government's lack of, <laughs> of, of <laughs> lack of understanding. Yeah, lack of understanding. These are kids. The government's lack of understanding of the environmental collapse of the planet. Mm. And then, because these people, they just block it out. This, mm. The politicians in there, their cognitive dissonance, their ignorance, their willful ignorance, mm. don't want to know because the corporate money situation is what really keeps the political structure yeah. afloat. That's because true. a lot, you know, there's lots of things and lots of different pies. Mm. So. This is why, you know, these, these Adani, you know, Abbott Point, you know, all, all these sorts of extreme versions of environmental um, pillaging and rape of mm. Australia is happening because you have to be disconnected on a certain level to support it. Yeah. yeah? Like, we don't need to build a big coal mine to sell coal to India. Yeah. We don't. But some people make a lot of money from that. Yeah. We don't need to burn coal to make electricity at all. No, but if you are of this old mindset, you got to look at most of the politicians making the big decisions. These, these are these are older people. Yeah, and these are the sort of people who are keeping society functioning a certain way. So we are numb enough to chop down trees. We are numb enough to invest in a uranium mine or a coal mine. This sort of thing. We are numb enough to ignore the fact that Great Barrier Reef is dying. You know, at the moment. So. For me, these eureka moments is like looking at this information, going like, "What's missing here? Yeah. What's missing?" And the more you look at the principles of human therapy, it's I'm not making anything up. Yes, yeah. I'm just looking at human need and going, "Well, here's a modality which is easy to learn, and it's it's quite simple. It's really quite simple." And to go, this can bring so much reconnection mm. where someone can have a session and then they. They are sharing what this guy said. Testimony. I want to share this connection with others. Mm. Where this can go out, this this reconnection, where we are not just connecting with other people more, but we're connecting more with nature. Mm. Yeah, and and what we need to do as a person to kind of step up and to to bring change. I think that's the part that's most um, fascinating to me in this conversation is that we've discussed so many things on so many different scales before. Mm. You know, it's like. We've obviously discussed inner trauma, um, but we've obviously discussed the plight of the planet, we've talked about consumerism, we've talked about capitalism, we've talked about different philosophies, modalities, and all these different things, which are very out there, and some of them are like mega, and some of them are minor. Um, but it is all distilled down into the human's relationship through their own childhood and nurturing and that inner child, um, which I find most fascinating about this conversation mm-hmm. is that actually – if we can find a way to connect to ourselves and heal that aspect of ourselves, everything else kind of trickles from there. And there's this quote that I'm this close to getting tattooed on myself, but I probably won't get a tattoo, um, which is go within or go without. And, you know, it comes back to that again and again. Mm. Mm. My friend says the only way out is in. I mean, there's a good, there's a good um, Russell Brand interview where he interviews Gabor Mate. Mm. He's, he's really an expert on the way people's childhood is expressing through the adult. Mm. And they're talking about Donald Trump yeah. and some of his political decisions, ideals, mm. and the way he treats people. Mm. 
actually stem from the way he was brought up by his parents. Yeah. You know? And it's very clear, um, I don't want to say pathology, but it's a very clear uh, chemistry or equation mm. which can create a um, cause and effect. A sociopathic leader mm. who is making decisions and also casting out his people around him as well. Mm. It's like, you know, inspiring people who are supporting him mm. as best they can. Yeah. And it's it's amazing to see how so many people are trying to seek um, power from a sense of being to feel safe. Mm. And going back to where that lack of safety comes from or that lower sense of self-worth, you know, can come from. So they seek these particular positions of power mm. as a sense of security in a peaceful environment. So the question I have for you there then is, like, if we, let's say, assume that therapy becomes mainstream tomorrow and more and more people are growing up attuned, let's put it that way, um, these people are fundamentally, once again, less likely to be the ones that are seeking power. Exactly. Yeah. So there's still that model where those that are in power are fundamentally the ones that are looking for power, which mm-hmm. are fundamentally the ones that you don't necessarily want in power. <laughs> well, imagine a political system where the people, and this is the same in some tribal political systems, mm-hmm. Um, particularly if you look at the First Nations people of North America, mm. um, like the Iroquois Confederation, this is a very complex political system where um, who's the guy who threw the kite with the key and the electricity, one of the founding fathers of the United States, uh, um, Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. He actually studied the system of the Iroquois Confederation of Nations right. and used their political system to map out how the United States of America would work politically. Mm. They copied it off him. Yeah, right. Yeah. So these different types of leadership, and one of the things that was different is often in these um, these kinds of nations, the people in charge, these chiefs, would be not seeking the position. Yeah. They would be nominated and voted in. Yeah. Imagine a political system where someone knocks on your door one day and says, we've all done a vote, and you're prime minister for the next year. Mm. And it's we know you're not seeking this position, mm. which is why which, which is why <laughs> you. yeah. So you're not doing it for you're not going you're not aspiring for the self gain or this power or money or control. You a political system where someone is there um, because of who they are, not as a leader. Mm. Yeah. So hopefully we. You know, we, we, we talked about Russell Brand and revolutions kind of thing. Hopefully our political system evolves mm. in a way where we start to use the current. Yeah. Like you look at the, the Dalai Lama. Mm. He's not trying to be the Dalai Lama. Absolutely. Yeah? yeah. And that's, that's why he's so revered. Mm. Yeah, so change like this would be amazing. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's more and more young radical people stepping into politics. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's changing slowly. Like there's a new congressman in the United States and she um, did like a music video with their mates at university and she's done Syrian's building and stuff like that. The opposition, the conservatives, shared this video to try and portray her as like inappropriate to be a great woman. Because she's dancing around. Yeah. Yeah. Where you have people who might have um, there's another woman in politics where she, she posed the Playboy mm. like in the eighties. And they're trying to say that, that means she can't be a politician. She's not only corrupt now. Mm. So we, 
as you can see, there's an evolution where those women are, are happy in their bodies and in their sexualities, mm. and they are also politicians, and that there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Mm. And that this old mindset of original sin, you're actually directing these kind of these intense Christian ideals, really, mm. at people around their body mm. and corruption. Right. And these things are actually dying out one old grumpy politician at a time. And more and more, this new generation, Mm. whether anyone likes it or not, is more radical. So the political system might not change the speed we want it to, but the more young people with new ideas who are sharing these ideas and are getting voted in, we're getting this this slow change. And Mm. hopefully this change happens fast enough for the natural environment. Yeah. Because these are the people we need who are sensitive enough to make the right decisions. One one quick fix would be all all world leaders could come with it. Like tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah? Because women are naturally more, um, for the most part, naturally more in tune with their connection to all things. Mm. Um, Because men have been conditioned to become more hard and stoic. So does that sort of reflect that? the treatment, obviously the mothers, uh, are they more aware of connection or are they cultivating more connection through that process as well? Mothers have a huge advantage mm. um, through that the sense of... chemistry. Yeah, but the experience of selflessness, mm. you know, where if they if they abandon this baby, it's going to have a, a far less happy outlook in life, mm. even if the baby doesn't remember the event. Yeah. Because these come through the nervous system physiology where... She needs to give selflessly, whether it be with her time and energy and food and to be, to yeah. be pregnant, mm-hmm. to give birth, all these sorts of things. Yeah. So often women through, cause men don't, need, don't really need to be present by much of it, you know? Mm-hmm. So women often have a, a higher sense of, um, selflessness as, as a, a being who's giving, um, to, to everything around her. Yeah. You know, men can be like this too. Mm-hmm. But often mothers have a totally different advantage. Yeah, what you're sharing with me makes me laugh. I mean, because uh, I had a really good chat with my uh, really dear friend of mine, her name's Amal, and uh, she's had her second child. And uh, my girlfriend was talking to her, and she was talking about motherhood and, you know, how is it. And, and um, I went over to their place and just watching her interact with her kid. Like, she's talking to me just like we are. Meanwhile, she's changing a diaper. She's completely present in the conversation, but she's changing a diaper and nursing a baby. Like, completely present, but also, like, connected to this thing. It's not even, like, outside of her. It's like she's tending to herself almost, right? And, um, and I'm just watching her, and I'm like, oh, like, in my peripheral, I'm like, wow, this is, like, a massive change from the friend that I had that was unattached to any, like, other being. But at the same time, she was completely herself. So I'm just watching this, and then Kay's, my, my girlfriend, she's turned around, and she's asked, like, tell me about, like, Motherhood is a challenge, and she's like, absolutely, it's got its challenges, you know, but the rewards are, like, you know, absolutely there as well. And uh, they started somehow in the conversation that came up as, like, don't you reckon um, the men should give more? <laughs> this is where I started laughing. And she goes, I could. Sorry? She goes, I could. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just a strength in a mother yeah. that is the mother's strengths, you know, yeah. and in that moment I just happened to be privy to that conversation and there was just so much gnosis in what she was saying mm-hmm. that it just, I, I realised, you know, just the power of, like, what it means to be a woman and to go through giving birth and losing all your sleep and breastfeeding and going through that and just what it means to be a man and, you know, like, 
how those roles are so because I think even in today's society there's a lot of you know and I'm kind of going off topic here but at the same time like there's all this like gender equality <laughs> um, for some part definitely is necessary in terms of we should earn the same and this and that sort mm-hmm. of stuff but there are certain things that over time we have cultivated that men are certain better at certain things and women are better at certain things like the just watching my friend and just the strength that she has to raise two children and just realizing within myself that actually that takes a different capacity of strength that I'm not completely aware of, mm. you know. Um, which comes to show humans capable of amazing things, mm. but at the same time, her innate nature as a strong mm. woman mm. Um, is something that is not innately mine, mm-hmm. you know. Mm. That fascinates me. It's very special to be a father mm. and to tune in to how you can support her. That process, yeah. Yeah, and this is so important when it comes to the sort of stress that a mother can go through and how this can be passed on to a baby mm. while she's pregnant yeah. or in any of the early years or while that, while that child is in your life. And to look at there's some things that she can do as a mother that you can't do. Mm. But how can you support her with those things? Because there are things that you can do that she obviously is not available to. So it's so important to see how the, the, the loving presence mm. and availability of men as fathers mm. to support the, the mother of their children, mm. um, or if you're a stepdad, to, to, to really tune into what she needs. Because there's too many single mothers in our culture, mm. and it's being a mum's heart. You know, we have a pretty good welfare system for single parents in mm. Australia, but in the United States, where the, you know, there's a lot of single, for example, Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of single mothers who have to work a lot, mm-hmm. who are not actually able to be physically present in their children's life enough because of lack of money. Yeah. So we are lucky here in that sense the government does a bit, it could do more to support single parents. But for men it's very special to to learn about your role mm-hmm. as a man by having children and um, to really support women mm-hmm. in any way they need. Really, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need right now? And to to hold that space and to realise that reducing her stress, whether it's you know helping get the baby to sleep and cooking and cleaning and all these different things around the house and being present with your children as well, so she can have breaks and all this sort of thing. It's really important because too many women are are just left to do all the parenting, mm-hmm. you know. And it's this is another societal issue where men are having to work too much. The economic system doesn't really flow very well mm. with how present we need to be with children. For a proper achievement needs to take place. Yeah, and there's uh, cultures in like Scandinavia where men are like now being forced to take certain amount of time off after they've given birth. Actually, we're now back at work for like, I have to take over their first eight, two years, I have to take seven months off. Yep. You know, this is the culture that financially supports that. Mm. This is also a culture that's more aware of the sort of child brain development that creates healthy adults for the wellness of the earth and the wellness mm. of that nation. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot we can learn from each other, and particularly the easiest way to do this is to actually more tune into indigenous cultures mm. that that don't have the diseases we have mm. emotionally and physically because the way they raise children is a lot more imbalanced. Right. There's indigenous cultures where the parents are often at a good working age when they have children. So a lot of the, the needs of the babies are provided for by the grandparents. Yeah. The parents are around, but the, the family unit, is supporting children in a way that we're not used to mm. because we all live separate from each other and, yeah. you know, 
and it's 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 very beautiful to have if you have children to be in close proximity if you can to to your parents to mm. to support each other. That's and this is what produces the most healthy adults. Yeah, you know, it sounds almost radical what you're suggesting, but that was the reality for my parents. Yeah. You know, in India, you lived in your, in your, lived in your granddad's house. Yeah. yeah. You didn't live in your dad's house. And then basically when you're, like, his children were ready to become grandparents, they moved out and got their own place, and now they were grandparents, their kids had kids, and there was, like, three generations living in the same, under the same roof. Same with the, the kind of uh, in Bali. Mm. If you go into a family compound, let's say, mm. they might have some room to rent out, that you'll have... Maybe four generations, mm. and oh yeah, this is this is now home for ten generations. Mm. You know, they're all there together, and the, these things are just completely normal. Yeah. yeah. And what we do is radical to them when they hear about the way we do. Yeah. 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 The separation is uh, <laughs> is fascinating. Yes, yeah. fascinating. Yeah. So this kind of trickles in for me into the next sort of thing, which is also um, I've been pondering because I guess now a lot of the work I've been doing is like education. I've also been looking at how education, the way we're set up for education is based on, you know, the industrial society. And so obviously we needed, you're obviously probably aware of this, but we set up schools because kids were better workers than adults and the adults weren't getting employed because the kids were taking all the adults' jobs. Mm-hmm. And so we put them in schools and they could you know, not take the blue-collar jobs and they became more white-collar oriented. And society actually developed as a, as a, as a byproduct, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've still got the same schools, but now we're more white-collar and so we were training people for blue-collar, like subservience, like, yes, yes, I can, I can, I can, sit still, you know, blah, 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 blah. but society's evolving now into, like, the world that we have now, and education still isn't evolving, you know. And so the thing, the quote that I've been listening to a lot is, it takes a village to raise a child. Exactly. You know, and that whole, it's been present in this conversation, obviously, like holding the child. And then I'm also, like, curious as to what the education, you know, then sort of looks like as well, you know, because you learn from everybody, Mm. you know, what does um, delocalised tribal esque near tribal learning look like, yeah. you know, it's like, let's just, I'm just literally thinking as I'm speaking right mm-hmm. now, but let's say we all lived in, you know, in a suburb, and then, you know, every day of the week, someone in the suburb taught the kids what their expertise was, so an engineer would teach maths and physics, and then someone else in schools would be localised, yeah. and you'd be interacting with your kids all the time. And there are so many different models of, like, education that are mm-hmm. available to kids that I find it fascinating for myself that, uh, actually, that same mentor that recently died, she homeschooled her kids. And her kids are amazing, mm. like amazingly talented and mm. gifted. Mm. And for me, growing up in like, you know, normal private school education and understanding, I just assumed that those that were homeschooled were held back. Mm. Because it's like, what could you possibly learn when I've got like, these resources that we've been well paid for? Mm. But the reality is, these kids are amazing. Mm. And it's like, actually, homeschooling might be better. Mm. than a private school education, mm. Mm. but we're led to believe alternatively. Mm. Um, so I, I ponder, you know, like when we also start dealing like our relationships with ourselves, how we start teaching and learning and growing amongst each other as well. Yeah, as we yeah. As well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've talked about this in the past, where the mainstream education system promotes a lot of competition. Mm. Whether it be with exams or sports or competing against other schools, yeah. you know, all this competition rivalry primarily for a, a, a sociopathic um, economic environment mm. 
where you are really competing and you want to see the downfall of your competitors to get in the same market to yeah. drive. And through this whole scarcity construct. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a big barrel monkeys, the education system. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the main thing, themes that I can see here is that uh, a lot of people um, want to become school teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my friends have become school teachers. And um, a lot of my best school teachers when I was a kid also had quit school teaching early. And the thing that keeps coming up is that they get a bit sick and tired of what they have to teach. Mm. These sorts of rules in the curriculum and the sort of oversight mm. that comes from the education department around what they are teaching. Yeah. And that they decide that it's not fluid enough mm. and that they don't want to take part in that and they go to mm. a different type of career. It's a, it's a scary thing. But we can look at Scandinavia, we can look at different types of um, education systems which promote more of a reconnection to nature, mm. and I think that's one of the big keys. Mm. And um, education systems which promote a lot more um, creativity, like the, the Steiner education model, that mm. sort of thing. And um, it's it's there's an evolution happening, mm. but it's 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 going to take a major political change mm. to to see a real overhaul of our education system. Right. In New Zealand, the new Prime Minister just totally overhauled a massive part of the high school education system, just deleted it. She said it's, it's just done. That was one of her political promises was going to get rid of that. And it was one of these kind of certification kind of exam systems that was just, yeah. just ridiculous and created so much stress and kind of hierarchy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> delete. Yeah. And, you know, she's making huge changes. She's, you know, um, one of the youngest female political leaders in the world and she also gave birth in office. You know, and her, her, her partner is the primary caregiver. Yeah, wow. You know, so we are getting these changes. Mm. We had, you know, like it's, it's, it's really, really cool that this, this is happening in politics. And, you know, someone even said, you know, let's make her an Australian citizen so she can be prime minister of both countries. <laughs> you know, I, I was in New Zealand recently and I turned on the There is no more boxes to pick outside and we're just going all the way. I was in New Zealand recently and I turned on the radio and she was DJing. These changes are happening, you know, and you know like back with human therapy it's 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 a growing thing and it's it's a real groovy way to help reconnect people to what really matters. Yeah. You know, so um, at the moment, um, I've just been teaching in Perth. I've just been teaching in Byron Bay. Mm. It's a, a four-day course. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, I'm booked, um, I'm booked here in Melbourne mm-hmm. to teach from the 1st to the 4th of March. Mm. Back in Perth. Um, Perth's, Perth's amazing. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the, the appetite for the new over there is really special, really incredible. And yeah. So back to Perth. Um, Perth is the 14th to the 17th of March. Mm-hmm. And Adelaide is coming up too. That's the 5th to the 8th of April. Nice. I only take a small group of students at once. Yeah. Um, so one of my roles here is to really tune in with people mm. and to make sure that they are ready to to share the ceiling with mm-hmm. that they can hold space and not re-perpetuate someone's traumas or issues or to, to make things worse or create trauma that wasn't in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I can really tune in with someone's abilities by having a small group of students at each mm-hmm. time. I mean, they, they give sessions to each other, and what's what's amazing about these these students is they they come along as well with some of their own issues, of course. And 
have these incredible breakthroughs mm. just by having sessions in the training. So, well, I've had a long-term anxiety issue that just is now switched off. Mm. You know, so the const- the results we're getting from the students is really, really incredible. Mm. And yeah, like I said, I'm teaching around the world this year, that sort of thing. And um, yeah, it's it's important to to have really clear. Um, um, integral teachers of modality. Like someone asked me to make an on my course, and it never worked mm. because we really need to tune in with people to, to make sure we can see where you're at mm. with yourself. Because one of the, the main principles here is um, if you want to be the tune therapy for your own your own sense of lack, mm. your own need for connection, it's not, it's not going to work. Yeah. It's the same thing like you. You can't look after a baby properly because of your own sense of lack. Mm. Like, oh, you know, this baby really needs me. It's making me feel better about myself. It doesn't quite work like that, you know. So there's a there's a selfless element where you really just tune in to to what your client needs and to to set that space up just for them. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. What excites you about the next three years the most? Oh, yeah. Yeah, traveling and totally. This is for me. Um, this is really my element to, to mm. kind of hand over these tools and to see how excited people get about it. Yeah. People are really excited about the human modality mm. and to to just kind of hand over the it's really interesting to hand over the permission mm. to, to, to work with human touch in this way. Mm. And just go here you go. And for people to have such simple tools to help such help people in such a profound way because like I said, some people, we've had clients who haven't been touched for 13 minutes. Mm. So to be told this way is so rejuvenating. Why, why do you think that so many cultures know to put someone in isolation to punish them? Yeah. In prisons, in schools? Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you, if people have been marooned on this desert island and stuff like that, that they go mad because there's no other people. Because mm. we are wired for connection. Mm. Yeah. So for me, it's so exciting to to hand over the car keys in this way. Here you go, go for it. So um, for me, it's a, it's so special to feel like I have um, come into touch with the, the the slipstream, touch the key, whatever you want to call it. Where teaching this way is very easy and natural, mm. and it's just it's very coherent information, but people go, oh, of course, <laughs> of course, it's, it's all so obvious. Yeah. But because it's such a taboo um, area, mm. we can get a bit like, whoa, around this information. But in, in it, we innately know we need, mm. we need to hold each other. Be on the mind. Yeah. yeah. So helping people see that and feel that, you know, right, here you go. So mm. it's, to me, um, it's... It's a very incredible thing to feel like you've come to touch with your purpose mm. on the earth. <laughs> you know, it's very lucky. Like, like people say, like if you if you really fall in love in your life, this is very very lucky mm. to really experience deep love and connection. Yeah. yeah. So for me um, to come into this alignment where I feel like, like this is it, like, and I'm 33. Mm. Yeah. So to to come into touch with this now, mm. I feel very lucky. And there's a lot of circumstances which have just occurred, which have just happened to me that's at this moment. So it's all fate or luck or whatever it is. Mm. 
that this is happening the way it is, you know. And like I've worked a lot in hospitality. Yeah. And after a while, I didn't know what I was doing there, uh, especially being exposed to some of the the waste, you yeah. know, in in the hedonistic self gratification of consumption in our culture, particularly in high end hospitality. Yeah. And the waste, you know, whether it's wine bottles or uneaten food, mm. and to become quite disturbed by being exposed to that all the time. Mm. But then realizing why I'm in, why I've been in hospitality for years, and it's to to understand people more and more. You, you're dealing with hundreds of people a day, all the time. whether it be your colleagues or whether it be just different types of people who come to cafes and restaurants. Mm. And um, to more and more be able to get a, a snapshot of culture, mm. what's going on. Yeah. What are the what makes people happy? What doesn't make people happy? What are the sort of neuroses that occur? Yeah. You know, and to see that this has primed me for some of the things I'm doing now. Yeah. Like when I was a lot younger, you know, we get shy and this kind of thing with different types of people. Uh, if you work in an industry where you deal with a lot of people, you become good yeah. at learning to connect with all kinds of different people. And this is where this has become very valuable with, with teaching and mm-hmm. giving counseling sessions or whatever it is, yeah. you know, holding people. And to, to, to have that access to culture is an amazing thing. So, you know, all the people out here in hospitality are, the, mm-hmm. are really in touch yeah. with what's going on and to, to, to work in the hospitality industry is hard. Mm-hmm. The money's not very good. Mm-hmm. But to do it from a place of, of love and to be of service is, is a very magical space to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, I went to um, least or anything. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. The people they're serving volunteers. Yeah, you know, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, what it gives their spiritual energetic foundation just to mm-hmm. be of service, just to go and you know, take care of people and bring them food. It's yeah. a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, but, um, mm-hmm. I grew up in a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. Service yeah. industry. Yeah, and I think, especially with that very long life, it's like the, the ability to have range with your interactions with the mm-hmm. and the, the diaspora of emotions that come with that and yeah. interactions is mm-hmm. really, really, mm-hmm. really good. Mm-hmm. So, I, um, I would almost want to ask you what's the book that you'd be recommending now, but I think, uh, there's no book that's about going out and, <laughs> and dropping in. I think we've read enough this kind enough of Enough information. Yeah. Yeah. Take the time to maybe experience human interaction, human connection. Mm, mm, yeah. So mm. what would be a prescription for those at home, perhaps with a partner, take some time out to connect with them? Well, just in general, um, I think to renormalize non-sexual physical touch. Mm. These sorts of, these sorts of cuddles or holding hands, whether it's with your partner, your friends or your kids, to um, to see this as a fundamental need of all of you mm. to be healthy. Yeah, this is normal. Mm. To become more and more hard and more and more separate is not a virtue. To yeah. prolong life, mm. you can do it. It's not right at all. Yeah, but to to normalize mm. holding each other, being in physical contact, especially with your kids. Yeah, you don't need to harden your children. Mm. It's this ideal to harden your children, harden our young boys. You know, by sending them to Playing rugby or footy yeah. or whatever, it would be good for them. Yeah, yeah. send them to military academy, whatever. You know, so this sort of um, gentleness and closeness is something to really look at and yeah. to cultivate in our lives. And um, for people who find that too radical, the intuitive therapy session is a great way to to put you back in touch mm. with that knowing. 
And as well for people who are, who, who think they have the spiritual, spiritual the foundation to, to hold the space to really think about you, um, tuning with me and signing up for a training. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially people who already have a, um, counseling, coaching, whether it be psychology or psychotherapy or psychiatry, um, or if you're a nurse or if you work in HR or work in departments, or if you're just a parent or a partner to do the training as well because the principles that you, even if you don't want to be a therapist, the principles that the machine therapy is so valuable mm-hmm. when it comes to, um, Walking the talk when it comes to ethics and integrity and what you bring to the planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, I really recommend people, if you're already a therapist, to, to kind of put this in your, your toolbox. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a, a very special thing. And down the track, there could be all kinds of ways this therapy could be used in conjunction with hypnosis, psychotherapy, somatic experiencing. Mm. But, um, one of the really interesting and um, exciting areas for me is, is rehab, mm. where you can really speed up the rehab process if you're being helped. Mm. You know, if you go to a rehab, rehab clinic, there's 10 people, there's 10 beds, 10 people there that you yeah. can, you're held every day. Mm. This would totally transform and speed up the whole process. Yeah. But we need to de-radicalize this whole concept in the mainstream kind of mindset. And that's the mission. So, and that's that's why we're talking about science here, mm. you know, because science is the is the way to gateway language. Yeah, <laughs> it's to, the way to, to break through to the, yeah. these different belief systems mm. or disbelief systems to really show that the research is there. Mm. You know, we have the information, and we're getting these results. The idea is that more and more practitioners getting more and more sessions, and we're getting more and more sort of clinical data mm. that we can go, wow, look, all these people had you know, chronic depression or chronic stress or, you know, let's say you have something like a um, ulcerative colitis or mm-hmm. Crohn's disease, these sorts of ulcerations of the digestive tract, which are caused by cortisol. Cortisol is a stress hormone. Mm-hmm. If you can see that the human therapy as a way, as a very simple way of reducing stress and anxiety in your life mm-hmm. to reduce the symptoms or the actual manifestation of these sorts of ulcerations in the gut. Mm. So there's all kinds of illnesses caused by stress hormones. And that's a really, like, we get enough clinical data and go, wow, this is a really good solution for these different, these different ailments, whatever they are. Mm. So the idea there is to, is to, to build this, build the, the, the medical model for tumor therapy through, through more and more data. And so it's a very exciting modality for someone to learn mm. because Giving a session is a very beautiful experience. Mm. Whether, whether you're a parent or not a parent, to, to hold someone and just to allow them to go through the process they need to go through automatically mm. and to witness the changes they experience and how much, um, how much, sure it's love or healing, whatever, but basically how much you're offering them and how this can really help their life in so many ways. And you just help them. Mm. You just help them. Mm. Yeah. And to realize that as well, the more sessions you get, the more, um, the more you come into a sense of, um, belonging in yourself. It's like there's this, all these kind of side effects of holding people where you become more and more at home in your body and at home in the planet and more and more peaceful. 
Mm. And your self-worth just grows and grows and grows because you're, you're, you're getting back in touch with something that's just so normal. Innate. Innate. Yeah. So when you're holding space with people like this way, in this way, mm. and say it's your job, mm. this is cosmic. <laughs> you know, this is cosmic. This is a very, very special thing. So I really encourage people to you know, do more research into the thing like, um, you have a Facebook page, mm-hmm. a tuna therapy Facebook, you better. Um, you can also get in touch with our, um, with our training links through that. Mm-hmm. Our Instagram page is sort of awesome information and we're launching the tunatherapy.com website mm-hmm. as we speak. Mm-hmm. So check that out. All the information's there. Mm-hmm. More and more, um, you know, videos, interviews, more and more information like this. Yeah. 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 It's, it's all available there. So. And I highly encourage you all to check out um, the YouTube videos that you put out as well. Mm. The content that you have delivered on YouTube is second to none in my humble There's a lot of amazing, um, a lot of amazing research and work that you've done and found a way to confidently share like within your eyes a lot of deep thoughts and aspects to a lot of many different things mm. and really bring them into useful philosophy and yeah. share them in the world. So I really, really mm. value those. Mm. Um, if we could erect a billboard in Times Square, New York, <laughs> mm. and Tristan could say one thing on that billboard with all that energy of Times Square, New York, what would you say? Hold me. <laughs> You've got to actually do it. <laughs> a lot of these concepts are like they're interesting because we get to talk about it. Mm. We talk about it. But you need to experience it. The doing aspect. Like what you said, like what's the next focus? Yes. We only more research. Let's go do it. Yeah, let's 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 reconnect. Yeah. yeah. And uh, my last question is beyond tumor therapy, beyond skin suit, beyond the podcast, beyond the conversation, beyond nature. Who is Tristan? Eh? Who is Tristan? Who is Tristan? Oh man. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I'm like a, a conduit. Like there's people like where did you come up with these ideas? Mm. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. And they're not just ideas. Because people hear about this stuff and they're like, oh yeah, totally, it's obvious. Mm. And I feel like um yeah, I'm an open an open vessel and these things are coming through. Mm. This this is coming through right now. And to be honest, this whole idea with human therapy, reconnection, everything like that. It's coming through a lot of people at the same time. Mm. Our global community is ready for this now. Mm. And I am one of the people that's just coming through mm. this whole idea. This is emerging all over the world right now. And this is just one avenue for it. Yeah, so it's, um, to me, it's becoming more and more sensitive. Mm. I do live in the brain forest. <laughs> so coming to Melbourne, I'm like, Wow. <laughs> one of the fortunate or unfortunate aspects of living in nature, mm. with, with as little electricity in your life as you can mm. manage, and, you know, let's say you do become more sensitive, mm. which means that ideas, concepts, creativity will come through you more and more. Mm. So there's more and more people like that in our culture who are becoming sensitive in a, in a really useful way. Mm. And, and, and sharing what comes through them, you know, and, and, and walking the talk and doing what you say you're going to do. Mm. And, um, it's very special to, to, to come into touch with that. Yeah, yeah. And that's, 
that we are experiencing an explosion of creativity in our culture. That's what happens when we really start to tune into just to ourselves, to our yeah, consciousness in our body, beyond the mind. Yeah. Starting times ahead. Yeah. I really want to thank you very for making the time and the energy to come down. Obviously, you're in Melbourne, but that's the opportunity to be here today and actually mm. have a podcast mm. in person. I love yeah. these chats with you. And as always, I want to express gratitude for all the work that comes into the present moment. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just, um, you know, you drop in here and you like, <laughs> but obviously, you know, all the, um, even just for example, like, uh, just the, the temperance and the awareness that it takes to, you know, just be the person that um, is holding space for something that is solemnate that is not mainstream, you know, like that takes a certain level of courage and, and persistence and a value system that is perhaps a little bit outside of the norm but mm. really valuable for society. So mm. I really want to thank you for the space you're holding for mm. all of us. Mm. And uh, as always, wishing you all the best for everything that's coming forward. Mm. And um, and yeah, so for those that want to tune in, is the website the best way or is Facebook the best way? The, the website's launching now. Yes. So if the website does not open, yeah. it's, it's going to be open soon. Yeah. The best way to tune with me is is through the Achievement Therapy page mm. on Facebook. Perfect. Or you can get me an opportunity email at gmail.com. Yep. So if you want to, if you want to book um, a place in one of the trains, mm. it, it doesn't matter. You can contact me through Facebook, through the Achievement Therapy page, or my email. Yeah. Both, both of you know. Yeah, yeah, I'm there. Yeah. 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 Perfect. Yeah, thank you so much for your blessings here. And today. thank you, man. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, thanks for inviting me here. This is a beautiful experience, and it's great being in person. <laughs> you know, and, yeah, I really appreciate your support, and, um, Hey tribe, thanks for tuning in to another fun, enlightening episode of the Inspired Evolution. I've been loving all the feedback and personal stories of love, uh, health and growth. Your feedback and stories are incredibly welcome. The easiest way to connect with me is via my website, which is www.amrit-sandu.com. You can leave me a message or a comment. It's one of my highest values to connect, so I love to connect and love to hear from you. You can also find me on Facebook, Amrit Sandu. And if the content has been resonating with you, you can help the Inspired Evolution out in a big way by liking the YouTube channel, subscribing to the Inspired Evolution, or the Facebook page, like that please, at the Inspired Evolution, or by leaving a review on iTunes if you're on an Apple device. And also, if the Inspired Evolution episodes are inspiring an evolution within you, or you can feel the inspiration is valuable for your team to evolve to the next level, you can head on over to www.amrit-sandu.com to see how the Inspired Evolution can help you and your team thrive. Much love, tribe. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health 
Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market